This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Welcome back to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm your host, Robbie Lashla, and I'm here this week again with our special guest, Mr. Marty Clapp. It's good to be back with you again, Marty. Robbie, it's great to be back with you. Yeah, really enjoyed that last podcast talking through the DNA and and how that's evidence for God's existence. Just mind-blowing. So I know our listeners are enjoying it, and uh, I definitely did too. So, Well, today we are going to be talking about the question, where did God come from? And I've I've got this question a ton in my own life. I'm sure you've had it uh, asked to you a lot, Marty. I've seen people on TV have this question asked. Um, People want an explanation for where God came from. And as Christians, we believe he's eternal. And so explaining that can be somewhat difficult. So I think this is going to be a really great topic for today. But as in classic Christ culture and coffee fashion, we start with a coffee tip, coffee tip of the week. Um, So a lot of people think coffee just comes from the grocery store aisles, <laughs> right? That's where it just magically appears right. there. Of course. Bagged in pounds and half pounds, ground, not ground, decaf, calf. <laughs> it's great. It just magically appears. But actually, as, as our listeners know, because obviously they're coffee-cultured people. Of course. Of course, yeah. Um, coffee grows on a tree on, on a plant a coffee plant uh, there's two types of beans and we've talked about this in previous podcast <clears throat> um, but today I wanted to talk about the importance of the coffee plant and just how hard that little plant works so you can have a cup of coffee oh. all right so on on average it takes about three to five years for a coffee plant to fully mature and start producing the coffee berries the cherries hmm. that have the coffee seed in them so Three to five years of hard work before any coffee is produced. Wow. Okay, so that's that's the thing. But each year, one coffee tree will produce enough coffee for one pound of coffee. Really? Yeah, isn't that interesting? Really? It's not very much. Wow. They produce yeah. about um, uh, 4,000 beans a year mm-hmm. per tree, mm-hmm. and you need about 4,000 oh beans for one pound. So I'm trying to think of my house. We probably go through a pound of coffee once a week, once every week and a half. Hmm. So, you know, let's say I, I go through 45 pounds of coffee a year. That's 45 trees producing for just me every year. So if you just think about how many plants there are worldwide producing that much coffee for everyone in the world, it's, it's mind-boggling. That's there's crazy. A, there's a lot of coffee plant cultivation <laughs> going on. It is. And then um, a coffee plant, they're pretty um, – the robusta plants are more durable, but the arabica plants are, are durable too. And they can produce um, about a pound of coffee a year – uh, for up to 50 to 60 years. Oh, my. So it's not a bad investment, yeah, you know? I mean, again, so so you're looking at, if you if you drink coffee as much as me, maybe <laughs> one plant's um, life cycle of coffee I drink in a year. So wow. there have to be a lot of wow. coffee plants out there all around the world. Or you may want to look right? and start planting some in your backyard. <laughs> yeah, maybe save me a little money. the kids out there to pick those. I should. A coffee plantation <laughs> with child labor? That would be very interesting. My own kid. That would be great. Not a bad idea. But um, with, with that said, there are actually some uh, coffee trees that live up to 100 years. Huh. 
yeah, it's it's a crazy, yeah. it's a really interesting plant. Um, so that's the coffee tip of the, of the day is just appreciate coffee trees. Appreciate how hard these little plants are working to give you a pound of coffee wow. a week. You know, right. that's their entire year's worth of work. So hmm. very interesting. That is. It's cool how God created them. And I'm I'm really appreciative of how people have learned to cultivate them so we can have so much coffee. Hmm. It'd be a travesty if you could only have you know two cups of coffee a year because the supply was limited but because we have people in, in ingenuity and people who know how to farm them we have more than enough coffee to go around so it's kind of neat it's a good thing it is very oh man it's a great thing yeah this podcast we'd have to change the name of it <laughs> if it wasn't all right well today the question where did god come from who made God is another derivative of this question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what do you say when somebody asks you that type of a question, Marty? How do you, how do you approach it? What are ways our listeners can uh, kind of have a, a tool in their tool belt to talk to people about this issue? Well, you know, one of the, uh, not the only time, but one of the uh, times that sticks out in my mind that this question came up, a friend had uh, asked me at, at our church there in Chandler at Compass Christian Church, they said, would you come talk to our sixth graders because my sixth grade boys the previous week apparently had all sorts of questions that they wanted to ask about God, about Great. the Bible. And so so their teacher said, hey, you know, would you come in next week and, and address some of their questions? And, and so I showed, and by the way, I think that that alone is so important that we provide an opportunity for kids to ask these questions don't you think oh, that's a great point yeah when we tell kids oh, don't ask that or oh we'll answer that later we're really doing them a disservice we should encourage kids ask as many questions as you can um yeah. i push i mean with my kids or with kids here at the church all the time i'm telling them ask questions questions are your friend don't yes. let questions just eat at your mind get them out and right. hear answers for them because yeah i think questions are great yeah and, and this is what happened that day, because when I walked up in there, I, and on the way up to the room, I was thinking, what? You know, you wonder what kind of questions sixth grade sixth boys have. Yeah. And I was about to find out, because uh, as I'm standing up there in front of the room, I'll never forget this, this little boy in the front with glasses. He raises his hand, and I said, well, what's your question? And he said, well, where did God come from? Hmm. This was his question. And Robbie, one of the things that I've realized over the years is that I cannot and I should not dismiss that question. It just simply, you know, well, that's just an amusing question from inquisitive children. Hmm. Um, I think that I have to take this question, we have to take this question seriously. Absolutely, yeah. Because children. Children are important, number one, but it's also not just children asking this question. This is right. this is thrown in our face a lot when we're trying to talk about God. Yeah, good point, yeah. because it's not just kids. It's not just a kid's question. Adults no. ask this question. Um, some adults do it out of sincerity. You know, mm-hmm. it just it's just been a lingering question. Other adults, they just kind of like to tease their Christian friends, or maybe you're at the Thanksgiving uh, dinner with Uncle Fred, and he doesn't want to talk about religion. And so, <laughs> as you or I try to get the conversation toward God, and he doesn't want to go there, he'll say, well, you know, if God created everything, then who created God? And he doesn't... Yeah. He's not really asking that. It's just sort of a dismissal to say, can we just, you know, try to shut you down? That's the classic conversation start, a stopper. Yeah, right? exactly. No, the I'm conversation done. Leave me alone. stopper, exactly. <laughs> and yet, 
There are, um, as you said, there are some adults who are quite serious about this, and they confidently put this question out there because they are convinced mm -hmm. that this is a serious, powerful argument against the Christian worldview. I think we see a couple of examples from this, one of them from atheist Bertrand Russell. Yeah. We were just talking a little earlier about his essay. Yeah, he's a famous atheist in the early 20th century. Right, exactly. He was a British philosopher, mathematician, political activist. And in his 1927 essay, Why I Am Not a Christian, he says, if everything must have a cause, then God must have a cause. Hmm. And what's really sad is, is where he came up with it. I mean, he didn't come up with this, right? He yeah. read somebody else's work. Yeah, and, and if what he says there is true, if everything must have a cause, then God must have a cause. He's right. Right. But the question we should ask is, does everything need or have to have a cause? Right. That's that's the real question there. So he's already assuming that it must, therefore God must. But we want to say, well, hold on, let's go back to premise number one and think a little through that. Right. Yeah, you know? good point. Because it is a misstep in logic on his part. I think one of the things that's tragic about that is that, and to show you the power of ideas, even if they're bad ideas, so he... He read that apparently he was an 18-year-old reading the works of British philosopher John Stuart Mill, mm. who raised this question. So it's just a reminder to us that we need to take this seriously because this is a question that some people, I mean, look, it changed the trajectory of this man's life, Yeah, as far as we know. I think another example where this question comes up in a serious way is from the well-known atheist Richard Dawkins. Ah, uh, yes. You remember his book in 2006? He I came do. Out bestseller. The, the God Delusion. I actually, I bought it in a, in a Heathrow Airport in London really? on my way home from France on a mission trip that year because I thought it'd be cool to own the uh, uh, British atheist <laughs> book from Britain. <laughs> so I bought that's it in England. Cool. I think I paid more for it in pounds there than I would have here, but that's okay. <laughs> well, he did. He raised that question Same then. question. Yeah, exactly. Same, Same question. Thing. And in fact, um, at some later time, I think it was the next year, they actually had a debate uh, based oh. on that topic. And it was... Um, it took place in an auditorium in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Alabama. It was uh, sold out. Really? Know, I didn't see that debate. Who was it? Yeah. Who did he debate with? Well, he actually debated uh, John Lennox, Dr. John Lennox. Oh, okay. Oh, I bet that was great. Oh, it was really, really good. <laughs> Dr. Lennox, he's a wonderful guy. He's just a sweet man. He's a scientist. I think he's from Oxford. I think mm -hmm. mathematician, author. And there again, here you have this debate between the great Dr. John Lennox and, and between atheist Richard Dawkins. And once again, right there in that debate, he throws this question out there as if this is a very strong argument where he says, well, hey, you know, if God created everything, then who created God? Hmm. Now, over the years, um, in response to this question, different defenders of Christianity have taken slightly different approaches to answering this question, especially in light of uh, scientific discoveries mm -hmm. that point to the universe having a beginning. Yes. You've probably heard a couple of these. <clears throat> yes, absolutely, yeah. There are um, a lot of arguments for, for, for God's existence. And w like you said, with uh, Big Bang cosmology, right, scientists um, agree that the universe has a be had a beginning, right? right? They call it the singularity, right? Back mm -hmm. when we rewind everything backwards in the universe, it all convulges down to this moment, 
mm-hmm. where everything you know blew into existence. They say banged into existence. Right. So yeah. So I think it's intuitive for people to think that all things that that exist have a cause because that's what we see. I mean, everything I'm looking at right now has a cause. You do. Your glasses right. do. The microphone does. This paper does. Our coffees did. Right. Exactly. Everything in this room, everything I'm observing does have a cause. So I see where atheists can, can make the make the um, conclusion that God must have a cause. Because if he's, the, if he's the same type of thing as everything else, then he has to have a start, right? He has to have somebody who, who created him. But that's, that's the crux of the question. Is he, is he different than everything else? Right. And we would say he's very different than everything else. He right? is. And I, and I think where their arguments, I think, I think the standard arguments in recent years do a great job of pointing that out. Because like uh, some of them will say, for example, that we know that space, time, and matter had a beginning. Yes. And so the, the idea behind that is that whatever caused, as you said, whatever caused space, time, and matter must be greater than space, greater than time, greater than matter. Yes, it has and to so be. It has to be. So then they would say it must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial. And, of course, if it's timeless, then it's eternal. It, it's, right? it's necessarily eternal, yeah. yeah. That thing it have to be, yeah, spaceless, timeless, um, it has to be matterless, I guess you'd say, which we would just call spirit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. has to be super intelligent. Right. Powerful. Yes. When you start defining whatever that thing is, it sounds a lot like the God of the Bible. Yes. A lot like yeah. the God of the Bible, a which lot. I think is fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. I think these are great yeah. arguments. I think one that's a little bit different, but it's similar, is they'll say uh, whatever begins to exist has a cause the universe began to exist therefore the universe must have a cause and of course just like the other argument it implies that the cause of the universe had no beginning and so it wouldn't make any sense if that's the case it wouldn't make any sense to ask well where did god come from and yes because if if the argument's based on all things that begin to exist have a cause right we'd say god never began to exist Therefore, he doesn't have a cause. Right. He's the uncaused mover, as Aquinas yes. would say, right? Mm-hmm. He, he, and, and atheists don't get out of this problem. Um, they, they have to postulate something before the Big Bang that caused it as well. We're saying it's an eternal, spaceless, timeless, omnipotent God. Right. And they have to say, what? Oh, there was nature before nothing. Right? There was nature before right. the Big Bang. And, and you go, well, there's no evidence of that at all. And even if there was, even if there was a whole universe prior to ours that, that convulged into nothingness, which is impossible, and then blew back into everythingness, somethingness, um, that doesn't fix the problem because you can just – they're just pushing it back a step. So you go back to the other universe and ask, okay, well, who started that one? And right. you can't have infinite – uh, an infinite regress of of universes. Eventually, you have to get to something that's uncaused, that's eternal, starting it all. Exactly. So, and they they can't answer that. They can't. And I think the point that you made of of an uncaused, and of course, getting back for a moment to Bertrand Russell, he would, if he was sitting here, he would say, "Well, Robbie or Marty, you you guys are trying to say that there's this uncaused first cause, but he says, no, no, no. He said, if everything must have a cause, then God must have a cause. But he, but that was a misstep in logic yes. on his part, right? Because yes. 
you know, where did he miss a step as far as the law of causality? Well, he's saying that everything has to have a cause, right. but necessarily there has to be at least one thing that's uncaused or none of this could be here. Right. Right. There has to be an uncaused cause of all of it. And it can't be nature, right? And it, it can't be stuff that decays. It has to be an eternal entity. And it has to be, like you said, timeless, spaceless. It has to be a mind. Has to be right. very intelligent in order to do this with the complexity that we see around us, and so we wouldn't call that thing nature, right? Right. So as an atheist, all they believe in is nature, but they've got a real problem because you need an eternal mind that started it all. You exactly. have to, it's it's necessary. You can't explain anything without it. Yeah, you really can't. And I think, I think these arguments that we've presented or that others have presented, I think that those are great arguments. I think that all these ones that we've just yeah. have put out, I think that they're great arguments. And so for the rest of the uh, the podcast today, I'm going to take just a slightly different approach because mm -hmm. I, I think those are great arguments. So we're not going to try to undo those or try to improve on them, but we're going to try to, um, to just present it in a little different way that maybe the listener because sometimes if you hear it in a like in shorthand or in a little different way sometimes it clicks yeah absolutely <laughs> you know? and by the way i'm not going to take credit and say well i you know because i didn't come up with this these are great great minds down through history who have formulated some of the things that we're laying out there yes, right absolutely. now these are very intelligent we're standing people. on the shoulders of giants exactly we're, we're thomas aquinas developed some yes. of this. william lane craig has really developed exactly. a lot of this yeah and so all that we're going to try to do or that I'm going to try to do today is just to try to express, because I'm kind of a simple guy. I just like things in simple ways. And I mm -hmm. think for our listener, maybe just putting these tough concepts into maybe a simple way, Great. It, it might be helpful. Absolutely. Um, I think one way to, to unpack this, and I have to go back to something that happened several years ago. So I was invited to speak at, um, at a high school in the East Valley. And... Um, they had warned me ahead of time. They said, there's one student who is a Christian <laughs> club, but he's not a Christian. Okay. He's an atheist. He's a very intelligent kid. Great. And he's going to try to take you down because <laughs> he does that to every speaker that comes to the club awesome. to speak. And sure enough, he was there. And so uh, he was there. And in the front row, he had all those papers that he printed off the Internet. And so I had given that day um, a talk on the scientific evidence for God. Okay. And so we opened it up to Q&A. And during the Q&A, his question was this. He said, well, so you're saying God created everything? And I said, yes, that's what I'm saying. And then he said, well, if God created everything, then who created God? There it is. There's there the it question. is. Yep. And so in response to that, the first thing I did was to kind of uh, try to explain to him that even though we all ask that, from a logic standpoint, even though we all ask it, logically, it's not really a legit question. Hmm. And here's why. And to kind of explain that to him, I said, suppose that I asked you, what does algebra taste like? <laughs> you know? Yeah, what does algebra taste like? What is, I mean, it's so, funny because it's illogical. It is. Algebra is not the type of thing that tastes. Right. Those yeah. are two different categories. Yes. And the students were kind of amused by that yeah, because they intuitively think, well, that doesn't even make sense. 
Yes. I said, yes, but why is it that it doesn't make sense? Because you've got two different categories that have nothing to do with each other. Over here, you've got abstract things like mathematics and algebra. And over here, you've got a category of things that have taste. Yeah. So if you try to, that's called a category mistake. Mm. And so I explained to them that these type questions make that same misstep in logic when they're asked about God, because over here, when you have questions like, where did this come from, or who made this, or how did this begin, or what caused this, those are great questions in the category of things that are finite. Mm. But God's not in that category. He's over here in a category all of his own. He is mm -hmm. infinite. And so we try to take finite questions from that category and carry them over here and drop them off and try to drop this off in the category of an infinite creator. It's like asking, what does algebra taste like? And that is a great way to explain it. That's yeah. excellent. And so I explained that to the students, and, and he got it. This kid is really, really sharp, very intelligent kid. And so he... You know, he thought about it. He goes, okay, I agree with you. And he said, so really what you're saying is that God was always there. That's what you're trying to say. Yeah. And I said, yes. You know, I said, by definition, God is eternal. And philosophers would say he's self-existent. Mm. Um, he exists by his own sheer power. Um, and so, and I said, so, but in, in short terms, yes, I'm saying that God was always there. Well, he starts laughing at me. What? And he goes, that's a cop-out. That's a cop-out? Yeah. To say that God's eternal. That to say that God was always there. He goes, well, that's a cop-out. What? And so I said to this student, I said, well, now, wait a minute. Um, I said, do you agree that the universe had a beginning? He goes, yes. And, and he said, that's why I don't believe in God. I believe in the Big Bang. Okay. And I said to him, I said, well, wait a minute. Not so fast. You've already skipped over something really, really important. Um, I said, you can't just start off with a Big Bang without acknowledging that there had to be something prior to that that caused that event. Mm -hmm. And the student said, but I don't believe in God. And I said, well, I get that, and I understand that. But I said, if you deny God's existence, then you have to believe by faith, by the way. And I don't think he liked that, but it's true because this is a unique event in the unobservable past. We can't go back in Doctor Who's time machine. We can't sure. go back. Yeah. And so he has to take this on faith like anybody else. So I said, you have to believe by faith that prior to the universe, what was there before the universe, what caused the Big Bang was some form of matter that never, ever had a beginning. Mm -hmm. I said, and you have to believe by faith that nothing caused this matter, nothing made this matter, it didn't come from anywhere, it was just, it was just always there. <laughs> so, and I said to him, it doesn't, you know, I mean, it doesn't do you any good to ridicule me no. for saying that God was always there because you are apparently willing to believe that matter was always there. So he believes that he laughed at you because you said God's always there. Right. Eternal. But right. he he has to believe that matter is eternal. So you're both believing something yes. that was always there. Right. Okay. In a sense, in fact in fact to put it another way, uh, what I said to him was that really the point is that one of them was always there and it kind of I mean, it's either an eternal creator or eternal matter. And to break it down even further, and this is really, really important. 
because this kind of leads to the next thing, and that is, I said, in other words, there has to be someone or something that was always there. Now think about that for a moment, Robbie. I mean, someone, there has to be someone or something that was always there. And the reason I was being very precise with him using those two words is because in our experience is that those are the only two kinds of causes. There are natural causes and there are uh, intelligent yeah. or, or agent causes. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's only the two. There's just those two. You either It's either caused by something, a natural cause, or it's caused by someone, mm -hmm. an intelligent cause. And that is a really important concept. Mm. Do you remember um, in 2008, did you ever see the movie Expelled, No yes. Intelligence Allowed? What did you yeah, think of ben that? Stein. I thought that was great. Um, it's very, very sad that, that the scientific community in, the, in higher education is, is kind of pushing people out who are proposing an intelligent designer. Um, right. And Ben Stein was kind of exposed, right? It was a kind of an expose of this guy got fired because he went where science led and it said there's an intelligent designer. This guy wrote this and he got ex you know, expelled right. from his position at the university because he didn't kind of toe the evolutionary line of thought. Exactly. Yeah, it was great. I thought it was exactly. a great movie. It is a great movie, and and if any of your listeners saw that movie, and if you haven't, I would I would recommend that you rent it. It's a great. It's just a great movie, mm -hmm. and it's a real eye opener. And at the end of the movie, there's just like this. It's right toward the end of the movie where Ben Stein sits down to an interview with the famous atheist Richard Dawkins, mm -hmm. and at some point in the discussion, and this gets back to the importance of understanding someone and something as the only two types of causes. So as they're sitting there, Ben Stein says to him, he says, well then, who did create the universe? Or he, I think he said, who did create the heavens and the earth? And you could tell that Dawkins, was he was annoyed by that. I mean, he was annoyed through the whole interview. And then Dawkins says, well, why do you use the word who? And he says, you see, you immediately beg the question by using the word who. Mm. That was his response. But you know, Robbie, the problem is that Dawkins doesn't stop to think about the fact that there are two kinds of causes. And he's already ruled out any possibility of an intelligent cause who created the universe and everything. And he's, mm. a priori, he's already ruled that that type of a cause out. But that can't be because there isn't a who he's determined it must be a what. Yes. Not based on evidence though, right. just based on a presupposition. And just from a logic standpoint, we've already seen that there are two types of causes. Yeah, and who's so and what's, right? Right. Yeah. I think another way that I, I think that your listeners could really relate to this. So if we were, if we were to make this argument in shorthand, here's one way that that um, I like to share with our students. I tell them, try to imagine. I usually have them close their eyes just to get them to focus. And I'll say, just close your eyes for a minute. I, wanted, I want you to try to imagine a time in the past when there was absolutely nothing. <laughs> no universe, no galaxies, no stars, no planets. Not empty space black. Yeah, not even empty nothing. space. Nothing, nothing. nothing. Absolutely nothing. Oh, Try to, I mean, again, you just sort of get mental constipation <laughs> trying to picture, you can't, you can't. No. But, but if there was such a time, and here's the point, if there was ever a time in the past when there was absolutely nothing, I asked them, then what would there be right now? 
And they, you know, it takes them a while to think about it, and they ultimately say, well, then there would be nothing. If there was ever a time in the past when there was absolutely nothing, there would be nothing right now. Yeah, nothing can't create something. Yes, yeah, yes. ex nihilo nihil fit, out of nothing, nothing comes. Yes. You cannot get something out of nothing. One of the most fundamental principles of reason and all rationality, you just cannot get something out of nothing. If you're really honestly talking about nothing, mm -hmm. the point is this. If there was ever a time in the past when there was absolutely nothing, there would be nothing right now. Mm -hmm. But hey, here we are. So that implies there was something. Yes, yeah. In fact, there has to be. I mean, the fact that we're here, this will just, I mean, when I thought about this, it just blows my mind. The fact that we're here tells us a couple things. Number one, I mean, think about it. The fact that we're here tells us there was never a time in the past when there was absolutely nothing. And also tells us that there has to be someone or something that was always there. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's not, it's not too hard of a concept. No. So yeah. in short, it's either in the beginning God or in the beginning matter. Hmm. You know? Or sometimes I like to put it, there's only two possibilities. It's either in the beginning God or in the beginning a particle. Hmm. But one of them was always there. It's mind-boggling, but it's inescapable. Yes. And so when I explained this to kind of take us back to that student, and I pointed this out, he goes, okay. He goes, and I will, I'll just go on believing that the particle was always there, and you can go on believing that God was always there. And he said, hey, you know, since there's no way we'll ever know, we'll just call it even. <laughs> and I said to him, not so fast. <laughs> not so fast because we don't, you know, we don't have to just give up and walk away and say, well, we'll never know. Because I think we can know. And I think we do know. And I think the reason I say that, Robbie, is because I think that we have very good reasons for ruling out an eternal something. Okay. So matter as the thing, the what instead of the who, you yes. think we can rule it out as a possibility? I think so. And okay. the reason I say that, and I'm confident of that, is because physical material things, by their very nature, they have certain limitations that disqualify them from being eternal. So to begin with, for example, material things are contingent things. In other words, physical things are dependent things. That's true. Physical things always depend upon other things for their existence. And so they can't, I mean, they cannot, you know, they can't exist eternally because they always depend upon other things for their existence. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So if you're dependent, you'd have to be self-sufficient yes. to always exist, and material things aren't. Right. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. they aren't. And something that's kind of closely tied to that, I think the other thing that we learn from physical and material things is that they are mutable. In other words, at some point, um, any physical or material thing at some point shows instability. At some point, it undergoes change. Okay. Its existence is uncertain. So it it can't. I mean, it can't be eternal. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It'd have to be like a... I mean, what would it have to be to be eternal? The fact that it's matter in and of itself, yeah, it eliminates it from being eternal because uh, it would, yeah, change, decay, even. Um, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, how do you even... 
have something that's eternally unstable or eternally uncertain. <laughs> it just it doesn't even make sense. No, not at all. So I think knowing that these are the only two types of causes, I think that we can rule out something that was always there. And so in contrast to this, we're back to the notion of a someone. In other words, a personal agent who was always there. And I think that this, honestly, I think it does a much better job of explaining the observable evidence that we see all around us. And that which caused the universe and everything in it. It just, and this gets back to something you said earlier, and it's so important, so I want to come back to that. Mm -hmm. Because you had mentioned, and it's, it's very, very important, is that whatever caused all of this to come into existence, there are certain qualities and characteristics that it, it has to have. And these are not optional. Just based on what we see around us, it has to have the qualities that you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. For example, we've already determined that it must be self-existent and yep. eternal. And, and as you pointed out, it would have to be all-powerful because yeah. to cause the universe. Yes. Something very powerful had to have caused even the Big Bang, right? I mean, right. come on. Like the, 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 power, the sheer power that scientists say happened in that moment is it's – it's um, uncomprehendable almost. Right. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So it would have to have, and I think also you can make the case that it would have to be moral to explain our moral mm. intuitions and, and objective morality, objective yeah. moral values and duties. That's a good point. Yeah, it would have to be moral. I didn't think about that. It would. And then I think also it's reasonable to say that it would have to be all-knowing and personal. And the reason, I mean, as we look at all of creation, we see, I mean, at every level, incredible ingenuity in biological systems. Mm. I mean, at every level, just whether it's uh, molecular machines within the cell, any you know what we see is yeah. a creative person, you know. Yeah, so it's not just functional; it's uh, ingenious. Right. <laughs> There's so right. much ingenuity behind it. Yeah. And I think that's an important concept because this this someone had to be all knowing, has to be all knowing and personal because. You know, because you've heard it, and I've heard it, where people say, "Well, I believe in a higher power or a higher force," but I mean, can gravity make decisions? No. You know, it can't. Can gravity direct stuff to specificity? Right. It can't do those types of things. Right. It's it's a it's locked into a certain type of. That's why we call it a force, right? right. Gravitational force, because it's doing it's kind of doing one thing or electricity. Um, yeah, it doesn't make decisions. It doesn't communicate information either. Right. Yeah. And so that's why not only have we uh, discounted for good reasons an eternal something, but someone who is always there would have to have these characteristics. Yes. And I think, and, and it's the point that you made earlier, is that when we include all those characteristics, what we've just described is the God of the Bible. Yeah, which is fascinating because you think about, we're, we're not saying the Bible says this is who God is. We are deducing from science and philosophy. Yes. And say this is the type of being that would have to have started everything. Right. It, it makes the most sense. Um, it's the most plausible. Uh, and the other options really aren't options. Right. Yeah. The higher power that's impersonal. And this is interesting because if you do think about the other religious um, beliefs, the, the big ones in, in the world religions that are out there, you get Buddhism impersonal, right? The ultimate reality is impersonal. You get Hinduism, and they have little gods, but the ultimate god is impersonal. Right. Right? Um, within Christianity, you have a personal god. Within Islam, you sort of have a personal god, mm -hmm. but we can't know much about him. Right. Um, Mormonism has a personal god, but he's not eternal. 
So really, when you start digging into what these other uh, these other religions think, you know, ultimate reality is or who God is, uh, they don't have this type of a thing behind it all. Right. Because, uh, like you said, personal Allah is not very personal, right. and that's the closest we get to a non-Christian religion having a God that's kind of necessary mm-hmm. for the existence of everything. Right. Why do you think God has to be personal? What, what do you see around us? Why, why would he need to be a personal God? Because when I look around, especially, and again, at every level, we see incredible ingenuity. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a whole field of science called biomimetics or biomimicry. And I mean, that's a whole topic in itself. But here you see where they they have to hire the smartest people imaginable who go out there and, and observe some detail in a plant or an animal or an insect, and they go, man, if we could duplicate that or harness that somehow or make it, you know, synthesize it, we could, this would have all sorts of applications. And so after millions of dollars in trial and error, using the smartest people, and there's a the key there, mm-hmm. most intelligent people that they can find, they finally kind of come close to coming up with something, but it's never as efficient as what we see in nature. It's never as mm-hmm. good as what we see in nature. And so you look around and you see such ingenuity and intelligent design mm-hmm. that it has to be a person. That makes sense. It has to be a creative, intelligent person. It's not a sum it's a someone it has, has to be a person be. it has to be and I think is if as we wrap this up there's just this quote that I mean it was years ago in, in a book called many infallible proofs by dr. Henry Morris and it just really kind of summarizes this whole thing and dr. Morris said the Bible in quoting he says quote the Bible and only the Bible starts with a special creation of all things by an eternal omnipotent personal God This is an eminently reasonable solution to the problem of origins. An infinite and eternal God is an adequate cause to explain space and time. An omniscient or an an omnipotent God can account for the vast resources of power and matter in the cosmos. An omniscient God can explain the innumerable evidences of intelligence and order. A personal God is capable of creating life and personality in his creatures, but, he says, primeval chaos and colliding atoms are capable of explaining none of these things close Mm. quote that's that's a great quote and that's true it is yeah Yeah, primeval chaos colliding atoms cannot explain what we find in the world what we find within ourselves and science is only making that uh, more of an impossibility. <laughs> the yes. more scientific discovery we find, right. we see the depth of the ingenuity. We see the depth of the information. The depth of of um, the, these complex systems within ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And I even think back to you know with Darwin, he didn't know what was in uh, cells, right? Yeah, he. Didn't he just know. thought they were like Legos. They were like building blocks of life, but he didn't realize there were whole um, systems. Within the cell, the DNA within the cell, the RNA, all of those things, there's little truck-like things that, that carry information in and out of the cell and openings. And I mean, it's he just thought they were Lego blocks. He had no idea. Nobody at the time no. really had. We didn't know. They just thought that, that a cell was just like a little bag of gelatin. They had mm. no idea. What they just thought it was. just a little bubble with gelatin in it. So the deeper we go, the more complex things are getting. Absolutely, yeah. Which I think is more of an evidence towards God, which is why science, I think, proves there has to be right. an intelligent 
someone out there, yeah. not an, an unintelligent <laughs> something given right. a lot of time. Right. Right. Time's not a magic wand that makes things happen. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. You have to have intelligence. You, you have, have to. to. We w- or we wouldn't be in, in the state that we're in right now. It can't be. Fascinating. Well, this is great. So when people ask, where did God come from? We say this is a category error, right? Like asking what algebra smells like or tastes like, you said. Mm-hmm. Or I heard one man say one time, or what, what the color of purple smells like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny, funny because it's illogical, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Right. Um, but yeah, and, and pointing that out and, and then explaining by definition, there has to be a, a God like described in the Bible. Um, not because the Bible says so, just deducing from science and philosophy. There has to be that kind of a being. That's great. Well, thanks, Marty, for this. This has been awesome. It's been great to join you. Yeah, I hope I hope you listeners are really enjoying um, these, these couple of podcasts with Marty. Hopefully we'll have him back in the future to discuss more of these types of things. But this is really preparing you for going out and impacting your community for Christ. People ask this question, where did God come from? And you need to be prepared. Um, don't, don't just listen to our podcast and think you got it. Practice these things. Run them over in your head as, as you're driving in your car, as you're walking around. Be thinking about these things and how you would answer these types of, of of questions and these types of arguments when you encounter them out in the culture. We're called to be salt and light, and this is one of the ways we can get prepared is just by taking time to answer common questions that we find in our culture. Well, thanks for being with us again today, Marty. This was this was great. All right. Thanks for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. We're really glad that you uh, take the time to listen to our podcast. If you would, um, go on iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you're listening from, and like us, uh, give us good ratings, comment. That's how we get more notoriety. And um, we're not doing it because we're making money off of this or anything. We're doing it because we want to impact people for Christ. So the more exposure we get, the more people we can impact with the message of hope and uh, the more Christians we can prepare to go out and tell other people the message of hope. So thanks for being with us today and we will see you guys next time. You have been listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.